the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. We've got a cool one today. Um, I was really excited when John wanted to do this episode. Um, he's not been on for, gosh, quite a while now. Um, and there was so much stuff to talk about. But I mean, more than anything, it was, you know, a spot for him to be able to talk about everything that's gone on for us to be able to talk about everything that's gone on for the last year. I mean, between us having the baby, moving, work for both of us has been bonkers. He checked into rehab. There's just been so much stuff that has gone on. So it was cool for us to be able to kind of hash that out. It was almost like a like a pseudo little like therapy session to a to a degree. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is. The interview where we talk about, um, I mean, an interview, I'll use that term pretty loosely. It was more just like a conversation of us kind of like shooting the shit about everything that's that's gone down, how he's been feeling, um, what that whole experience was like for for mostly him. I, I mean, for both of us, uh, just with everything that went down with uh, with him checking himself into rehab and um, not, you know, coming up on eight months for him of not drinking. It's amazing. It's really amazing. I mean, I know you guys have been able to like physically see the difference in him, uh, but there's so many more layers to all of that stuff. So I was really happy to have him on and, and have that conversation and yeah, to be able to share it with you guys. I know there's probably been a lot of questions around it and people wanting to know what happened, what it's like, how he's doing, how we're doing all that stuff. Um, all the while, coming up this Sunday at Forbidden Door, he's going to be wrestling Tanahashi for the interim AEW world title. So plenty, plenty, plenty of things to get into. Um, so here we go. Let's get into it, guys. This is John Moxley. We're doing the sessions, obviously. John is here. Can we start? We're doing it. This is the show. You're hard to talk to anyways, because you're either clearing your throat, eating food. You've got a sucker. You've got gum. You've got dip. You've got these fake beers. Fake beers, for the record. 
Yeah, I'm trying to get a sponsorship, so I brought this up here. Oh, well, then get the gotta get the label Athletic in there. Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing, hi. <laughs> it's a very good product. A lot of, uh, like, endurance athletes are into this because it's like a non-alcoholic beer, but it's got carbs, water, and hops itself is like a natural anti-inflammatory, allegedly, hmm. and, like, natural electrolytes. So it's better than a sports drink, really. So a lot of, uh, you know, triathletes and stuff, I guess they drink this stuff while they're training. They're like, stuff. So they're very, and these are very good because all the craft beer snobs like got into non-alcoholic beers now. So like there's some of no, them. No, there like, actually is like, some, yeah. I like the Heineken zeros. I really like, yeah, and those are okay. um, yeah, the, the yeah. athletic lights. I really like. Yeah, those are okay. I like the free wave and the run wild. This yeah, one's yeah. upside down. Yeah, so give me a fucking sponsorship, athletic. Let's go. I'm, Send us some. We drink it yeah. all the time. Yeah, um, does it feel foods. to you like not drinking, but having these? What is like that substitution like for you to have that in, instead of like not drinking? I don't even classify them in the same thing. I mean, these are delicious. But it, I mean, in the sense of like just having something in your hand more or less, because like I feel like that's a part of the thing of not drinking too. And like my only relationship to that is like when I got pregnant and was like, Oh, I can't drink anymore. Okay. What do I do with my hands for a second? It feels like a little bit awkward. And then I would either have a pop or tea or whatever, but like, does it feel like that to you? Maybe to a degree, I guess. I don't think of it as like a substitute for alcohol. That's why a lot of people would tell you, I heard a guy saying that, like, yeah, those are bad. Like anything that's like a uh, like a substitution is like a bad thing because it leads you to stay in the habit and you're trying to like break a habit, whether that be like cigarettes or whatever. And nothing is one size fits all for everybody. Maybe it would be a bad idea for somebody, but I like them. They were actually they're like my only thing that I do that's like a ritual of like i don't go to fucking aa or nothing that kind of shit's not for me i don't like journal or fucking go to therapy or groups or do this or that like i don't i don't really do anything the only thing that i do is like i make it a point to go grab these athletics as long as i can find them if not fine you can always find some brand but the athletics are the best because you can get them at whole foods so now i'm like fucking brian and i ate whole foods before every show (laughs) get like food for the night and uh, I pick up the athletics before the show, keep them cold. And it's what I drink after a match. So they used to like get some type of alcohol, cold beer or like whiskey or whatever, like pretty soon after a match, you know, it's just like fucking habit, like forever cold beer at the end of the night after a match where you're like, fuck yeah, that ruled. And you're all sweating and fucking pulling blood out of your eye or whatever and high fiving and, talking about the match and drinking the beer kind of puts a button on the end of the night or whatever. So like, that's kind of my like, okay, this is the button on the end of the night. For me, the purpose that it serves is it like, it's a giant blinking reminder. Like, I don't want to forget that. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be drinking, right? That would be what fucked me would be like, I just forgot. It wouldn't be like, Oh, everything sucks and I'm depressed. So I'm going to go drink. It would be, Everything is going so good and everybody's happy and whatever. And I just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. And then before I knew what I was drinking, I don't want that to happen. So I go out of my way to like, I have my little fucking six pack of non-alcoholic beers. It's like my little thing because it's a giant blinking reminder 
that you're not drinking. A non-alcoholic beer is such a ridiculous thing to drink. And it's so hard to go out of your way to find a fucking Whole Foods before the show <laughs> and find these very specific things. And like, if somebody asks you, like, what are you drinking? You got to go, let's look at non-alcoholic beer. Like, so it's this giant blinking reminder that you're not drinking. It's the one thing I do that's like, okay, this is my ritual to keep me on track. I didn't think that we were going to start the show and like just get into like that. This was I like- didn't even know we started. You just, like, before I knew it, we were starting. <laughs> I know. I kind of. And it kind of feels weird because I haven't done an interview. In, like, a well, I know, but that's time. what I was going to say. Just, you, before I knew it, we were recording. And then you're just like, so tell me about, let's just get like. <laughs> I did talk say about you're drinking non-alcoholic beer. Gotcha interview is what this is. But I didn't. So this is like a weird interview for me, too, because first of all, you are always my hardest interview of all the people I've interviewed. You are the toughest person for me to interview because I know all of your shit. You don't like to talk about a lot of things. And since the last time you were on a lot of very personal things have happened, it's been like, God, look at. okay. so it was just Nora's birthday. It is crazy to think of like Nora was born to like where we're at now, a whole year that has passed and like the things that have gone on in that year. I mean, from a professional standpoint, I mean, what a year you've had pretty much your entire time with AEW has just been like bucket list, bucket list, bucket list. Like you're doing so many amazing, great things. But then on the other side of things, you're having these other like personal things that went down and then having that be like so public and then bouncing off of those things. It's been a very uh, strange year. It's been a crazy year. Like everything is different than it was a year ago than it was six, eight months ago. Yeah. I'm in a totally different headspace. We live in a different place. Now we have a, a child, which is wild. We didn't have a child before. God, she's cute. Now though, we have huh? this strange creature crawling around the house that's now obsessed with you starting to do little steps she may walk in any minute it's wild i thought like when i stopped drinking it'd just be like oh okay i'm just gonna feel like a million dollars and yeah. just fucking kid but it doesn't work like that when you've been drinking and using drugs to you know excess more or less going on you know like 18 years your body yeah, but you've not been on drugs though just to like clarify. Well, I mean, and not me, but anybody here. You know yeah, I mean? like, okay. Uh, yeah, I was just making or that whatever clear. it is. You know what I mean? You, yeah. uh, your body needs time to like adjust. You know what I mean? When I first uh, wrestled again, so I came back in January, and it was weird. Like uh, just being in the ring was weird. It felt strange. Like I came back and did a promo, and that was cool because I didn't have to do anything physical. I just got chalked. I was like super relaxed. So my first match back, you think it's just going to be like, oh, okay, well, now you're sober. So you're just going to feel like a million dollars. It doesn't really work like that. And like, I was weird. It was like my legs were in quicksand. I didn't have any adrenaline. Not that I didn't have any adrenaline so much as like I wasn't nervous or like, I, and it's hard to put into words, but it used to be like this big, long, giant process to get ready to go out and do a match or wrestle is like this transformation to be ready to go to the ring. And I think people who probably don't, you know, spend their lives, you know, like partying too much or whatever, probably like take for granted 
just waking up in the morning and feeling good, I feel like I'm cheating. Mm-hmm. Like the novelty hasn't fully worn off. Of like not having a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Just like waking up and being like, okay. Like I don't have to worry about like being massively dehydrated or feeling like crap or whatever. Like for me, it's almost like, oh, I got like a cheat code or something, you know? But like that first match, I felt terrible. Like I just felt like off. Like it was weird. Mm-hmm. I can't really explain it. Like I was just like chemically imbalanced and like it was strange. And then like it got a little better the next match and the next match. I finally wrestled Brian at a pay-per-view. And we more or less just went to the ring like the first time I ever met him. Just kind of got in the ring and just wrestled. Then I kind of started feeling my mojo again. Yeah. I was like, but it took me like a month or something. How much like, did that just, scare you to like have that feeling of like, oh my God, am I going to get back to getting that mojo? Like, who is this new person that I am all of a sudden? Oh yeah, it was stressful. I was like, oh no, do I suck now? This sucks. <laughs> right, right. But then uh, very quickly got uh, got my mojo back. So it's somewhere in the middle of that match with Brian, I think. Something snapped back. It's hard to explain. Stella got her groove. And then it's been like better and better. And I'm having a pretty good year, man. Having like yeah. a ton of fun. Having a bunch of really good matches. Uh, starting to like really put everything together as far as like the style I want to do. The style I kind of even was picturing like three something years ago, like while I was hurt and WWE after freaking worked every night for two months with a torn tricep. Yeah. And I was off and I've talked about this before, you know, I was like in rehab when I rehab for the tricep or whatever, when I realized like I wanted to leave and started watching other wrestling and stuff. But even like way back then when I was picturing what I wanted to do and what I wanted to become in the ring, it was, it looked something like what you're seeing now Mm -hmm. all that long ago. And it's been a lot. So it's been like, you know, evolving in the ring and constantly trying new stuff and getting better and, you know, you always keep learning and keep growing. And well, keep I don't think a better. lot of people do, though. Like, I actually want to, like, give you credit for that, because I don't think a lot of people always want to grow and work and try to get better. I think sometimes people think that they, like, got the keys to the castle and that they have it figured out and you become really stagnant. And I think that's something that you've been awesome at I is mean, not being stagnant. You are not a standstill person. You got to constantly like learning and growing. And I like, mean, you got to evolve with the business. You see a lot in this business, people who are still stuck in whatever year they were that they come from. They're stuck in the eighties or the seventies or the two thousand or whatever it is when like the business is totally different than it was even 10 years ago. I was talking about this with uh, some of the kids and I talked about it a little bit after the show. Some of the kids, you old man. Yeah, man. (laughs) Dude, but it's wild. Well, they were just asking, just like, you know, just talking to some of these kids that are training like less than a year at the GCW show in New York. And it kind of hit me while I was talking to them because I'm like, I don't really have any answers for anything. You know, you know, it's just like experience. You just got to get experience. I, I don't know. That's my, my answer when people ask me about anything. I go, I don't know. Get experience. Because it's one of the things I said to him was like, there is no one right or wrong answer as far as pro wrestling is yeah. concerned to almost anything. I said, everything I tell you could turn out to be crap. If somebody tells you this is the way it is and this is the way it needs to be done and this is right, they might be really smart, but take all that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Make your own decisions. Uh, use your own brain. Look at the people. What are the people into? What's working? What's not? Because I was brought up on a bunch of 
certain stuff. I think I talk about this in the book, you know, like. Yeah, you had was, a book come out in this last year. Uh, like, yeah, that's a whole. God, there's so many like the layers audio, to the, what this year has been. The like, audio book just came out, man. Yeah. I had to ask over it, man. <laughs> I'm so sick of that book. <laughs> like, I'm too close to it now. No, I'm, I hate it. I never want to read it again. But, uh, you know, I, I came up in the less stature, you know, system of like, getting caught talking about your match before the show was like a sign of weakness. You know, it was all about calling the ring. Like all oh, these kids in the ring two hours before the show talking about their spots <laughs> uh, and hardcore wrestling quote unquote or whatever was garbage and all this and that. And, you know, that's how I, that I was taught that this is the way. And in WWE, they tell you a lot of stuff. You got to do this and this and this. This is the way it needs to be done. There's all this stuff that's just wrong. This is like totally wrong and is demonstrably wrong now with AEW on a national level. You know what I say? Oh, you're doing too much or you're not selling. Grab a hold, you know, all this fucking shit. Like there's so many matches I have now that like that I literally couldn't do in WWE. Mm -hmm. Vince would just flip his lid. For instance, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, like me and Eddie versus the Young Bucks. Great match. Guarantee you Vince would hate it. He'd be like, oh, you're not selling. You're doing too much here or whatever. Les would probably hate it, you know, for similar reasons. Because there's so many different styles, yeah. you know. Things in Japan work that, you know, somebody would look at and go, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. But in the in the universe of Japanese psychology, it works. In, yeah. the, in the context of deathmatch psychology, some stuff works. There's like all kinds of God, different. I really want to do a podcast with you that's all on deathmatch psychology uh yeah i mean okay. and that you know that's it there's all these different and lucha has got its own thing i mean think of like in the in the universe of wwe santino's cobra <laughs> yeah. could knock a 300 pound man out cold and people believe it and know it and it's part of that construct mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like there's no no right or wrong and you know you can take from everybody but don't let anybody tell you this is the way just Doesn't keep learning you know this is what i told yeah. them there's so many shows now, like the GCW audience, the AEW audience, I think on the whole is like this too, uh, Defy Wrestling, like mm-hmm. all these places where, I mean, I'm talking about this type of specific indie show where like, where like it's almost more like a concert where everybody comes and they know the band and they know their songs and they come to have a good time and they want to, you wanna they, see wa- the they want to be there. Like a, yeah. like a Defy or GCW is more like going to a concert you know in a lot of ways it's not like a bunch of people who are like all right what what is this wrestling stuff we're watching no they're like super passionate wrestling fans and they watch everything and they know who everybody is and they understand wrestling on such a deeper level than fans on a general indie show and us first coming up like it's so different it's so awesome and it's such a pleasure to be on a show like that i'm like man some of these Freaking kids don't even know how good they got it now. Like, this is so awesome just to have such a good relationship. Like, it's such a pleasure to wrestle in front of those fans. And I'm not trying to be like some kind of, uh, not trying to be corny when I say it. It's just, it's awesome. I think a lot of the mainstream's stereotypical feeling of a wrestling fan would be, would be something that's not what it actually is. Wrestling fans on the whole today are so smart and so educated and so passionate as much as anything like uh, fans of music or movies or comic books. And, you know, kind of people that say like, oh, 
they're just a bunch of nerds or whatever. It's like, no, they're just smart and passionate and uh, fuck off. Like, it's a really <laughs> yeah, stupid way to look at it. fuck off, like, yes. Uh, but it, it's no different than, yeah. you know, comic books or movies or anything yeah. that people are passionate about. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm one of these fans. Yeah. So we all just get to do this together. Fight fans come out swinging with a no-sweat first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee. Bet on who will win knockouts when the fight will end and so much more. Here's the fight that I am looking to. You know that I gotta lean with my girl, Misha Tate, making her flyweight debut against Lauren Murphy coming up July 2nd. I think that Misha is gonna come in there swinging for the fences. This is do or die for Misha Tate with her flyweight debut. I think she's gonna absolutely dominate. I know how much hard work she's been putting in. So Misha Tate, take my money, girl. So guys, if you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. Join now with promo code Renee to get a no sweat first bet. That's up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Let's take it back to like the beginning, though, of you going into rehab. What was your headspace leading up to that? Night sweats. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Crazy nightmares. My chemicals are all unbalanced. Wacky mood swings. You can attest to all that. You know, yeah, when I no, say it hasn't been easy, you know, like the not drinking part is easy. It's not like I have some desire to drink. I have no desire to drink. It's, I can't even, I can't even imagine drinking right now. Like, yeah. It's just a, so beyond like, like that, the not drinking is easy. We'll stop drinking. I wanted to stop drinking for a long time. I was trying to quit drinking for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just the, uh, dealing with all the after effects of what happens to you physically when your body goes through this crazy metamorphosis trying to re calibrate itself has not been easy you know so and i'm doing i'm on national television while i'm going through these fucking problems you know it's actually so like, it's like in front of yeah. everybody it sucks i mean a lot of people in my position would have been uh would have stayed in rehab a lot longer uh would have stayed in hiding a lot longer you know, yeah. i was Three months later, the one therapist chick I had straight up told me to retire. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, start a wrestling school, train some kids. She's like, you know what the problem is? You got to get out of there. I was like, I don't think it's that. But I mean, I was on, I went in on Halloween night and I was back on TV in January. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying, you know. It's great, but there are those. Ups it makes those me downs. a little self-conscious, you know. Sure. Uh, 
feel like everybody's staring at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also I also I kind of don't give a fuck. That was a big part about uh going to rehab was kind of the uh the relief of it that like now there's nothing to hide. Gotta figure I didn't know how people's reactions was gonna be. Like if people You had your phone off for a really long time too. Months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were in airplane mode for a long time. That was great. So when you first go into rehab, they uh, take your phone. Which sucked for me. Yeah, I had to after, wait for you to like, call me from a pay phone every day. Good thing I remembered your number. Honestly, right? They take your phone. And after however long of you know good behavior, they'll eventually give it back to you. So you can have your phone in rehab. So one day they called me to the front and they're like, you can have your phone back. And I was just feeling really good about everything. It was like so happy not having a phone. And I made a weird face and she's like, you don't have to take it. We can just keep it here and locked up if you want. And I was like, you just keep it. And I I went back the whole rest of the time. Yeah. Even when I left and went home, when I went into rehab, I lived in Vegas. When I got out of rehab, I didn't live in Vegas anymore. Well, talk about going like <laughs> so you I just went straight to the airport. You yeah, you didn't even you could, didn't even book your ticket on your phone. I just went to the airport, old school, with my ID and no phone. I had my phone, but I turned it off. I, just, I like went, even when I got out, I didn't turn on my phone. And I didn't turn it on for a long time. And I realized like how great it feels. The freedom like in the that air movie. is sweeter, sounds and sights and everything are better. Like, and you don't have a you don't have a TV, so it's just a room with a bed in it and a chair, a bathroom, no radio, no phone, no computer, nothing. You know, there's like a little library where you can read books and take them back to your room. That's about it. And your sleep is all messed up. Mm-hmm. Sleep is really hard to come by there and it's still hard for you to sleep and you're up you know at seven in the morning you start all the activities and stuff you know so sleep is really hard to come by and they come burst in your room like every hour to make sure you're not dead so there's a lot of just sitting there staring at the ceiling staring at the wall you know but it was great being disconnected eventually felt so great I like, bet. pretty quickly. Yeah. But I was like, I don't want to go That's back. That's a detox I don't we wanna... all need shit. Yeah, I highly recommend it. And people couldn't fathom it. A lot of people couldn't fathom not being like tied to their phone. But like we didn't have cell phones till how long ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. We went a long I mean, time. People lived them. for a long time before phones were invented. You can do it. I promise. Let's you. talk about before you went into rehab. Like what was the buildup and for you? I guess like the breaking point or realizing like I have to go and get help. I mean, you said a second ago that like you wanted to quit drinking. It was something you were trying to do and wanted to do, but you, you had to go to rehab. Nothing bad happened. Yeah. I want to make that clear on my end too. Is that like, yeah, nothing ever. I think people thought like maybe something went down. Yeah. I didn't go to jail. Nothing. Just like, I just couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. I was trying for like the longest time which sounds stupid. If you don't know, you just go, just stop drinking. Here's the thing too, that I think that I didn't really know until I started dealing with this, but, uh, but I don't know if you never had to really look into it. You just might not know is, uh, if you just stop drinking, if you drink a lot, you can die. Like I may have always drank, drink beer all night, back in the day, whatever, sleep two hours, go out, wrestle 25 minutes. So you were like a high functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just after the show, just get fucked up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Wake up the, yeah, next, wake up the next morning, sleep, sweat it out. Never yeah. had any problems. At some point, especially the first time I tried to stop, 
and I was experiencing uh, for the first time alcohol, at least that I remember, alcohol withdrawal, which is as bad as withdrawal from just about anything. And it's dangerous and a lot more dangerous in a lot of ways. The first thing they told me this and that they're like, yeah, just quitting drinking cold turkey, you know, at a certain threshold, which I was at. It's the worst thing you can do. It's the most dangerous thing you can do. You can just go into cardiac arrest and die. Or what's really common is you have seizures. Something really bad can happen from that. That's what happened to Cass. I was terrified of that for the longest time. The feeling of it is like crushing physical anxiety. Not anxiety like you're nervous about something. The physical feeling of anxiety, like breathing's messed up, like you're like twitchy, like they call it the shakes because, you know, you're literally like shaking. And there are times it'd be like a TV and I feel like people are going to think that I'm like on drugs because I'm sober. So uh, a lot of times we'd be talking to people or doing whatever, like have a little shot or a little flash or whatever just to mellow out because I'd be like, people are going to think that I'm on crack right now. So I was leveling myself out for like the longest time. And that gets really tiring. So like every night, especially like TVs, was like the longest days because I'd be having this like horrible like alcohol withdrawal at TV. I was terrified I was gonna have a seizure on live TV or on a plane. And like a plane would have to land. Really to so to avoid that. that happening on a plane, I would just I would never be at an airport on a plane without being nicely buzzed. If I didn't have time to like hit the bar before I get on the plane or it's like morning or the bars are closed or something, you know, whatever. I'd just be sitting on the plane, like, come on with the cart. Come on. Come on with the drinks. Like, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm yeah. like, I didn't know that about I the mean, planes. I knew that with the other stuff, yeah. but I, I never thought about that. I was, the real, I, was, plane. I was real scared of like something catastrophic like that happening, you know? Yeah. So I was like really worried something like that was going to happen. And I just like, it was getting, I was just so exhausted with it because everything has to like revolve around staying level. And like, I couldn't just like, I couldn't enjoy wrestling because I was just, I was so worried about that. You're and, battling you know, all day. Because like, you can't go on TV and wrestle fucked up. I had to be like sitting there worried, going through withdrawal where, you know, it's so, like as soon as I got done, like it's like this big wave of relief. Like, oh, okay, I got through another day, got through another TV and didn't have a seizure and die on live TV. Sweet. So I immediately start getting loaded because now it's been however long with it. So, and then you just end up drunk again. <laughs> so yeah. it's like this never ending cycle of hell. Like it was, there was like months, absolute hell. It wasn't like, okay, I'm all stressed out and I have problems. And like, it wasn't like, okay, I need to go to rehab and talk about my feelings. It was, I'm going to die. It can happen to anybody man like there's 100%. i don't i don't know what the threshold is but like once you start feeling like that uh those withdrawal symptoms be it like alcohol or pills or whatever it is that's when you're in trouble doing whatever you're doing to normalize yourself you know that that you know it's a it's a bad slope so <laughs> so the night that you had to go in you had come home it was halloween night and that's when it was kind of like, okay, this has to happen right now. Yeah, yeah. It all happened. We were moving the next week. It was like, oh my God, everything was happening all at once. That was like a fucking trip. That was nuts. Yeah, like a lot of shit was happening at once. Like, cause we were getting ready to move. 
So we're dealing with all that. I was trying to sell a house, trying to buy a house. And the whole time I'm just, it's getting really bad. And I'm just trying to stay level, you and know, we have a four month baby. Yeah. And we just had a baby. And I'm like, that's when I first tried to stop, you know, before she even came. And then yeah. that just made it worse. Like, and uh, yeah, you can't be drunk when you're holding the baby. You know, no, so no. it was like obvious before the baby even got here that I was like, you got to stop drinking. It was just a lot harder to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It would be. I mean, I know you weren't on your phone and I mean, you're not on social media. Those are not like a thing that are in your life anyways, but knowing that this, that it was public information, that people knew that that's what happened. Much as that was a worry at first of like why you don't want to do it because you're like, Oh, I don't want to be known as that. I don't want people to look at me as like a fuck up or a fucking addict or a drunk or I don't want to feel weird, you know, like it's embarrassing to a degree, you know. So people get their hands on it. That's yeah. beforehand. So I I didn't tell anybody. Like I said, it all happened in like 15 minutes. Like it, it was, was like fast. it was like I could feel the world closing in on me. I think I knew subconsciously that it was like it was coming. I know I had I had this one indie show for Sammy for Wrestling Revolver. That was the last show I did. Got through that last indie show for Sammy because I was like, I can't bail on this. You know, they're counting on me. And I think I was just like, I could feel like the world closing in on me because like people were texting me, like Eddie texted me, like, you all right or something? And I'm like, yeah, why? And I'm like, so I knew you were like talking to people. Shout out to Eddie, by the way. <laughs> Eddie was honestly so like was one like, of those people I that I checked in. Like, he checked in on me a lot. He was I was starting awesome. to feel like people were noticing whether they were or not. I knew you were. So I was like, I felt like the world was like closing in on me. I was in Des Moines. Got a Southwest flight. They don't serve booze on Southwest flights for, for some reason. Well, that was anymore. during like pandemic yeah, times. I guess, yeah. Right. So I knew that. So I was like, well, I'm getting loaded before I get on this plane, three hour flight. So I was like loaded when I landed, came home. I feel like you were already like mad at me. Or I don't even know. Like you could just, I could just feel the entire world closing in on me. And I was just like, I cannot go another day like this. I, I, I can't go one more day. It happened in like minutes. Yeah. I was just like, I'm going to real. And you're like, okay. I call, <laughs> call the place. I was like, it was Halloween night. I was like, I didn't tell anybody else or anything. And I was just, I was standing outside. I'm on the God, phone with that them. That was so Like giving tricky. them my information or like my credit card information or something. And like uh, kids, kids are, are walking up to me while I'm on the phone with rehab. And they're like, trick or treat. I'm like, was- give me one second. I'm going to pop a <laughs> Snickers bar in here. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, one can be here. I'm like, uh, right now. And they're like, cool. Called Uber. It was maybe 10, 15 minutes away from the house. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. An hour after I walked into the door, I was just like walking into rehab. <laughs> it just was like, yeah, it was, it was over. Really and I was probably, I was probably in some kind of a stupor, you know, for a minute. But uh, what I was getting to with the when people finding out, I don't know what kind of state of mind I was in for the first. I, I felt really defeated for like the first day, just like really defeated. But then I got in a little payphone thing with you, and you were like, I was like, what's the deal? You said, yeah, I talked to Tony and like Mega and everything is cool. They just want to know how you want to broach the subject because like I was advertised for a match. So they're like, do you want to tell people or? Uh, it's not like you were going to be off for like a weekend. You were going to be off, off, obviously for like. Yeah. Or do you want to just say like, it was up to me. It was like, we mm-hmm. can. So, and I was like, 
I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The next day I talked to you on a little phone and they're like, yeah, they just like, everybody knows. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's like some freedom with that almost. Right. Everybody knows I'm in rehab now. And like, I don't have a phone. So like, I'm not like, I don't know what the reaction is or anything, but I knew it was out there. Like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder. I just went, oh, fuck, everybody knows. Because yeah. this thing is this thing I've been hiding, yeah. trying to hide from people for so long. Mm-hmm. The one says, like, oh, everybody knows. And fuck yeah. them, I don't care. I remember like, feeling uh, the same way, too. <laughs> yeah, it was just a very much like, fuck them, I don't care. They can call me whatever they want and call me whatever names they want. I don't give a shit. I'm doing what I got to do for myself. Like, fuck them. And credit to them. Like, they were totally, AEW, Tony, are like, totally cool. He said, if you never came back, that would have been cool. Like, yeah, they, were they didn't bug me to come. But they, you know, when I came back, it was because I just went like, well, I guess I should probably come back now. Everything, you know. Yeah. But and your book back. came out that week, too. <laughs> your oh, book yeah, was dropping. Thing. The publishers are calling I, me and I'm like, uh, uh, I think uh, the book came out like days November after. 2nd or something. Yeah. And uh, they <sighs> they had this whole book tour plan <laughs> and everything. And I didn't tell them. I just like. You disappeared. Yeah. One day I stopped answering my phone. So that was another thing I missed. I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy after all the work of the book, which is a lot of work. I didn't get to enjoy any of the spoils of like it coming out and people yeah. enjoying it. And I've been waiting for, I've been excited <laughs> about it coming out to see hope that people enjoy it. And I didn't yeah. get to enjoy any. <laughs> oh my God. It's so crazy. But it was, so- that's another great thing. Cause it just took that whole stress off. Cause I'm sure they're, you know, you did your I'm work. Sure it didn't blow the literary world away, you know. So, well, I, mean, I think it actually, it actually, quite oh, well, smashing but. success as far as like I've gotten so much positive feedback yeah. from people it's that great. I like that whose opinion really it makes me really happy that they enjoyed it. That mm-hmm. like I, I don't think that book could have been more of a success yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I agree. It was amazing. Uh, um, okay, let's fast forward. So you, you go to rehab, you come back, and now. You're here. I mean, I don't know. I guess we can kind of come to like present day where like you're still, you know, you were saying earlier how just recently you had that promo where you were saying like people have no idea how it's been and like what you've been through. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not just this like go to rehab, come back. And oh, oh, before we even get to that, though, you saw that comparison of like before you went to rehab to after when you came back and everyone's like, holy shit, oh, look, I look at you. Yeah, I look like shit, huh? A little puffy. But seeing now where people are like, holy shit, look at this guy. Like seeing you now when you like come out, you're fucking shredded. You've got these abs. Like you literally look 10 years younger. Well, a lot of people, it actually was starting to annoy me because people be like, oh my God, you look so good. You're in such good shape. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not uh. in good shape. I actually am in shit shape. Because... If you are gone for a period of time and then come back to wrestling, nothing replicates actually wrestling for yeah. whatever reason. You can do all the kettlebells, you can do all the sprints, you can do whatever you want. Until you get back in the ring, you're not going to be in ring shape, you know. And uh, dealing with like a hip injury, a leg injury, chemical balance is all fucked up. And dealing with injuries, like training's all fucked up because I have a tiny baby at home, and that's hard. You know, it's just, yeah, as if just that's me not hard you. enough alone, <laughs> having like a brand new baby. And Anybody who has and a like, kid knows it's exhausting. Totally. Then you add <laughs> all these other layers on it. It's like, oh my God, you want to like pull your hair out. Yeah, and like, I'm busy and you're busy and we got this baby. We're trading the baby back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's wild, but uh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh my God. It, it's really crazy. Everyone says like that first year of having a baby, like really tests you. And this really was like those, like, holy shit, like white knuckling it. Jesus take the wheel. Yeah, like, it was, like, it was nuts. And my mood's been all messed up mm-hmm. and everything. Like having a crying baby when you're like chemically imbalanced in the brain, I guess is the only way I could put it is like hard, you know, but it's great. I've become that guy. I'm like obsessed <laughs> with obsessed with my baby. It wasn't at first, like a lot of people go, uh, the first time you ever hold your baby. And I was like, okay. And I heard that enough to where I was like, okay, I'm looking forward to that. This should be cool. Held the baby. Nothing. Nothing. Not John. nothing. <laughs> Not nothing, but like it's, nothing. <laughs> it was too surreal. It was like, it was so surreal. But I'm like, and I, and I was terrified I was going to drop her or something. Well, she was, was, I was, I had my C-section. So you were literally the first person that helped yeah, her. Yeah, it happened I so was like quick. Shaking. You, I had been in labor for 24 hours. Like it was, she was trying to nurse off of you. Yeah, she's trying to suck at my boob. I was like, I don't think that's what you're looking for, man. But yeah, it happened so quick that it's go <laughs> pull it Here's out of you. Baby. And I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> like, it, it's so surreal. And you're so scared and terrified and everything for the first few months or whatever well you get the eat and it's like everybody tells you you figure it out you know what to do sure. like your instincts take over and whatever the point was you know six eight ten months or whatever i'm just like oh like now i totally get it like i'm so obsessed with this baby i love her so much mm. i want to fucking puke i know it's disgusting like God, I just want it's disgusting her. how much you can love something it's crazy because i'm i get to be madly in love with two women yes like i already have you and now i've made another one of you isn't it the best oh my god but it's crazy because she's actually so much of you she is like you it's so funny how many how much people say that they're like oh your firstborn daughter is your husband and that's nora like there's just something so special about that father-daughter relationship like I'm her mom. We have this, you know, we have that mother daughter relationship, but something about that father daughter relationship that is just the, uh, untouchable. The magic. reaction you get from your dogs when you come home is always a really good feeling. When you come home off the road, your dogs freak out, they jump up and they start <laughs> running around in circles, you know, and they always do that. I still got that, you know, but now it's like doubled because now I get the baby pop. Mm. The baby pop is it's a good pop. It feels good. <laughs> She just for people watching on YouTube. So John got home the other day and he got dropped off in an Uber and her and I are sitting on the lawn and he was like, like 20 yards away. She saw you and was like, "Ah!" her hands go straight up because she wants John to come pick her up. Like that's her big thing is the hands go up to come get me, come get me. The reaction she has to seeing you just like, oh my God, it melts my entire body. I die. I'm totally that guy now where I'm like, look at pictures of my baby. Check it out. (laughs) And they're like, nice picture. But I'm like, oh no, we're going to scroll through them all. (laughs) But there's more. (laughs) (laughs) But there's so many other people like that. I have text conversations with people that basically we just send pictures of our babies to each other (laughs) (laughs) like people who have the babies know that like i need somebody to show us picture to and you're gonna look at it oh my god you know you're just volume back and forth you know yeah i feel like a bunch of people had babies like all around the same time yeah uh, it's nice it is nice to have so many friends that all have like babies we can all just like yeah group chat comparison you know (laughs) 
They're just the best. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. Coming up on Sunday, Forbidden Door. Um, You said you are the Forbidden Door. There's been a lot of forbidden doors happening. What's your perception of the forbidden door? I really am over that term myself. Mm-hmm. Everybody's using it. You know, Tanahashi actually coined it, but now it's not forbidden anymore because now there's a nice little working relationship. So the door is not forbidden. There are forbidden doors, but there does not exist one between AEW and New Japan. It did, however, a couple years back. Thing with me of like a joint show of dream matches between AEW and New Japan is like, well, I've been in New Japan for three years and I've been in AEW for three years. I've been in both like, yeah. the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, so kind of different for me. The thing is, like, you know, the relationship was not good. So I was a good, like, neutral party, I think, to help bridge the gap over yeah. the last few years because I love both and owe so much to both. I mean, I signed like a little six month contract from like my first match to the Tokyo Dome with New Japan. I signed that before I signed with AW. You know, so I've been there this whole time. And yeah. I kind of figured a bunch of people would be doing that well, too. You knew you, know? you really wanted to go to the G one too. Like that was like Yeah, and like I didn't know how I didn't know how it was gonna work out for me anywhere. I mean, it was all like and who knows what's gonna happen, but it worked out so good in both places, you know. Yeah. And then I kind of learned that like the relationship is not good. So I'm proud of this Rubendor pay-per-view going on because I've been such a proponent of we should have some kind of relationship going on together. Like, it's just stupid. Like, there's so many benefits to that. And for me, the benefit wasn't even so much like, oh, let's do a big super show. And it's not like, okay, we have to be married and in bed together Mm -hmm. because it's two different products on two different continents with two different fan bases, two different business models, two di- you know, everything, just two different products entirely. But there's a lot of benefits to just, you know, having an open door policy of communication to be like, I was saying years ago, we have all these young guys. I mean, you know, we don't have a, like a house show schedule or anything or whatever. And like, they need to get experience and get better and get good. And, you know, a lot of times you just want reps and you want to try stuff yeah. out. You yeah. know, we don't have like, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then do the show Monday for TV. You know, we just just have TV. So, you know, for a lot of these young guys, I was like, we should be sending like Darby to Japan. I get him that he's your guy and you pay him. You don't want him to get hurt. And you also probably wouldn't want to put over everybody in Japan. But at the same time, send him over there. Who gives a shit how many matches he wins, how how many matches he loses? Send him, let him do the Super Juniors. Like I was saying that years ago yeah. and we just got wheeler into the super yeah i mean regal and brian and uh wheeler are all sitting there and we're blackpool combat club the bcc fuck yeah sitting there having a training session and you know wheeler says something about like yeah if my visa comes through like might be able to do super juniors but it was on the same day as uh the AEW pay-per-view and he's an AEW talent all three of us me regal and brian were like go a hundred percent it's not even a question 10 matches against like the top junior heavyweights in the world or one match. Yeah. Like you're a young dude who we need to build into something better than you are. You're the experience you gain from that is going to 
who gives a shit what his record is at the end of the tournament? We were all like, go. And like that was more along the lines of what I was thinking, trying to get this relationship together. And like also like things like, you know, if we need just a little extra spice for pay-per-view, maybe we bring over a Tanahashi or an Okada or something. You know, put him over against one of our guys, like like a younger guy. And it'd be a big match for him and he learns or whatever. Or like maybe uh you know, we send young guys over there. We send them big guys over to Tokyo. I don't know, whatever, like case by case basis. Sure. But it'd just be really good to have that open door, you know. And uh, it was hard working in like 2020. It was hard working for both because there was no communication. And I'd have to talk to Japan and then go back to AW and try to like make all everything work out together as far as like the schedule and the booking and everything. It was hard. Yeah. Because like, there was no, there was no help. Stressful. Like I was doing it all on my own. There were plenty of people that told me to stop working for new Japan Mm -hmm. that did not understand it. That were like, you should stop going there. I knew that I was like the last linchpin. If I was like the last domino, if I fell, that would like, then there'd be no communication ever. Cause there's so many people on both sides that were agreeing with me. Yeah. Just didn't open the communication. I think like when that Harold guy got fired from new japan i think that kind of opened it up a little bit or whatever now there's like like the first when they started doing those la tapings you know during the pandemic mm-hmm. and i was like okay that's a four-hour drive from vegas for a little bit of time like for sure i'll go like defend my u.s belt at those you know so i had to work that out because that's in uh AEW territory in the u.s i had to like work that out but that was a bitch to get worked out and then got a little better and then we brought kenta in and me and Kenta did part of our angle on AWTV. Mm-hmm. I brought Nagata in because I was going to go wrestle Nagata in an empty building. And I was telling Tony, <laughs> yeah. and he was like, well, shit, why don't you do it on Dynamite? I was like, that'd be great. You know, so Nagata comes in. Now there's like a full, now if like New Japan asked me something like, hey, do you want to do this or that? I just go, ask Tony. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Like I can just, oh, I don't, like better. now the pressure's off me to be like in the middle. I can just go, oh, sweet. Now all I have to do is worry about wrestling. So. Well, so I'm very, uh, I'm very proud of, you know, that this is happening, you know, yeah. and there's other relationships that I would like to open up, you know, unofficial, just friendly relationships that I think could be beneficial for everybody with other companies too. And I'm trying, uh, no, but you know, things I'm trying to facilitate that's really good for wrestlers in the future and good for us and kind of good for everybody and kind of, you know, as much as I can help kind of give back to the business that's given me everything, you know, For and sure. help other guys along, you know? Yeah. I think that kind of this Blackpool Combat Club thing is kind of giving me more of an itch to like, uh, kind of help people. Like, I don't think I would ever want to be a producer or like an official coach or anything, but like, you know, I like training with guys, you know, that I think are worth it. And I like learning myself and like, yeah. you know, we don't have a, uh, like an official developmental or anything, you know, but, uh, you know, if we have relationships with like other indie companies and stuff, you know, we could yeah. like send young guys there to for experience and stuff. So I'm working on all that. If I can <laughs> kind of be part of that to kind of help with yeah. that, I could, you know, I could see being, um, being another thing that I'm kind of involved in. How about Blackpool Combat Club coming around at seemed like a really good time for both you and Brian to start working together and then bringing in the addition of Regal, adding Wheeler. Uh, it just seemed like the timing of that to just sort of give you guys a, a little like creative juice. Oh, it wor- it's worked out so good for a bunch of reasons as far as, you know, 
been extremely beneficial to me just and it's really just fun and awesome and we have such a good relationship train try out moves and stuff and uh have a open group texts where we send videos and stuff back and forth and you know like regals it's just regals he's not an official coach or anything but he does what he always does he just shows up at the building at like 10 11 a.m and works with young guys whether Mm -hmm. they're involved with us or not it's so ingrained in him to be a coach it's just what he does so it's hard for me not to kind of get in on that too and it's a thing that's kind of making us all better it's been great for me and super fun i mean the way it all came about there was not some big plan or anything it was uh i was gonna wrestle brian because i was gonna wrestle brian and then i went to rehab so we need a reason to wrestle brian said something about like maybe you know i could float the idea of us doing a team to you but you know that i'm a bad guy you don't trust me I'd done something similar with Jericho where he wanted me to join the intercept. Right. Oh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Maybe we do that. And I'm like, yeah. But then I get mad that you team with somebody else or something. What I don't know, just some kind of like reason for us to start having some kind of story. So we do this. So we go do a promo in the ring. And I don't know what Brian's going to say. He doesn't know what I'm going to say. Brian suggests to me in the ring on TV that we should be a team. And he talks about how we could take young guys and mold them and you know you don't have anybody watching your back and we could we could dominate this place well all this stuff that he said in that promo i was listening to it for the first time in the ring and he made such a compelling case (laughs) and the audience actually was kind of you could tell the audience was going huh okay you know that actually kind of makes sense yeah it wasn't like jericho and the inner circle were like total bad guy characters like joining them would have been like turning to the dark side. Brian was making a really good case. Yeah. And it was the people were actually kind of uh reacting strongly to the idea. Like, you know, I think he's got a point. I'd watch that. And then yeah. we were just I was sitting at home. I think we were going to the mall or something. And I was sitting there thinking about like what we were gonna do. And yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you just gotta turn the rock over and see what's underneath there and just go, what if I said yes? You know, like everybody can see it coming a mile away. Then I'm going to be like, no, I'm not going to join you, bad guy. I don't trust you. But what if I was just like, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. What would that look like? And then I started thinking about more and more. And I'm like, it's way more interesting if we do team up. Yeah. And that's so much more TV and so many more stories. Then you the add in like that regal layer as well. The fact that he became so available I, I, like at that perfect time. I texted Brian and I was like, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I was thinking. What if we did do that? And he's like, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can't in real life or as a character think of a good reason to say no. One of us or both of us talked to Tony and I talked to Tony. He's kind of like, he didn't see the whole vision at first. He's like, yeah, you know, you could do it for a few weeks and then then break up or whatever. Me and Brian both like saw the vision mm-hmm. without even really having to like, I could tell we both saw the exact same thing. I just floated it to, I've either floated it to Brian or Tony first. I went like, look, I'm not, I haven't talked to him in a while because Regal had just got fired. I haven't talked to him in a while. I don't know if he's actually available. I don't know if he even wants to work. I don't know what his contractual status is. If he'd even be interested. I'm just fantasy booking. But Regal's got this relationship with me. We've got this relationship with Brian. And we're doing this like story right now. And I kind of had the vision of him coming in and it was breaking best. up the fracas and you know all <laughs> I mean, that. those slaps he gave you guys, holy fuck! Oh, that was rough, yeah. 
so I, I kind of threw that out there and Brian said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing and he is interested and Tony already talked to him and he is available. <laughs> so like everybody was thinking the same thing and like they had already called him and talked to him. And they're like, yeah, he's going to be at the pay-per-view. <laughs> oh, I'm perfect. Cause I was already, oh, you're like, already perfect. Set. and I hadn't yeah. seen him or talked to him till so he, he showed up at the pay-per-view and he was like, you could tell he was like, you know, you get out of WWE and you're kind of shell shocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's different. It's walking into a different world backstage at AEW. And he was like looking around and like, Oh, what's going on? And I was like, dude, it's cool here, man. Trust me. Like, yeah. just it's gonna be out. If you have like an idea, just tell me and like we can just do it. So <laughs> yeah. cool. I mean, there's no writers. Like, I was like, this is totally different. So that yeah. first night, just me and Brian and him were just sitting there talking about what we're gonna do a little bit before we go out. And there's no writers, there's no creative, there's no like we just gotta kinda tell Tony, and as long as he's cool, that's cool. You could tell he's like trying to wrap his you know, head around it. Yeah. He probably sold something, told you something like that. It just took him kind of a minute to kind of catch up to what was going on it all happened so fast for him yeah yeah and now it's like it, and the thing with wheeler was an accident i was doing a thing where i was like we're building to uh me and brian eventually clashing right i was just mowing through people right and i started wrestling wheeler and just killed him before uh way before i was supposed to wrestle brian kendrick hour yeah. before the show that match is not happening what are we gonna do we're opening the show the show starts in an hour Tony's like, Wheeler. I'm like, perfect, Wheeler. So we go and have a little match. That was either before or after Brian did the promo. And he's like one of the guys that I think Brian mentioned him by name. And yeah, then it yeah. just like very naturally happened. And then before you know it, he's yeah. in the group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it, but, it, and, but the people just so truly and naturally got behind him and bought into the story. And it's like, yeah. here we go. And now it's a thing. And I look at it like the the whole Blackpool Combat Club thing is like not so much like, OK, we're like I was trying to think of a name for like me and Brian's little group or whatever. I'm like, it's not so much we're a tag team called like we're the flaming blondes or something. And it's us two. And we're a tag team. Yeah, it's it's more of like a, uh, it's more like an idea, like a stamp, an association, like being in the Blackpool Combat Club is like a stamp of getting that stamp of approval Honorary it's a badge. badge of honor there you go yeah. yeah kind of like in the way the heart dungeon was like sure gives you instant credibility yeah yeah. like any everybody that's been associated with that is somehow kind of associated together mm -hmm. bulldog Owen, brett pillman all those yeah, guys tons, and tons, then that tons. tj and natty and harry and yeah and uh like when jericho first debuted in ECW, they built him as the last survivor of the Heart Dungeon because mm -hmm. he had a connection to that. So that gave him instant credibility with the audience. Yeah. You know, so it, so anybody, yeah. So if me and Brian retired tomorrow, you could still keep it going. You could keep it going for decades. It's almost like our final gift to Regal. Right. Like it's this thing, mm -hmm. you know? That's why the name is more in reference to him and his style and the things he taught us. You know, yeah. I've never even been to fucking Blackpool, you know? <laughs> so, uh, the possibilities are endless with it. It can keep going forever, you know, it's pretty cool. So it's great. So the situation that you were in currently forbidden door happening on Sunday, you and Tanahashi talk to me about the circumstances of this and the opportunity for you to be the first ever two time AEW world champion. A lot of stuff with me, you know, over the years is uh, being the right guy, at the right place at the right time. That's just how it goes sometimes, you know, you got to be ready to seize those opportunities, you know, very rarely in my career has it been like, okay, he's the guy we're going with. You mean and like when you were WWE champion? 
Yeah, it's never been like, okay, he's the guy we're going with. We got this all planned out. He's our guy. Let's do it. Only time that ever happened, okay, this is our guy. This is his time. This is his moment. 30 seconds later, there's a global pandemic, and we can't even put people in the buildings. I'm the literal definition of a champion who can't put butts in seats. (laughs) So we're not allowed to have butts in the seats, you know? (laughs) So uh, this is a different thing, but... uh, I mean, Tanahashi, you know, he's one of the guys, you know, my like New Japan match that I watched like a million times that like kind of got obsessed with the newer era of New Japan was uh, I watched him developmental all the time, Tanahashi and Suzuki. I remember having a little DVD player in the locker room, guys, you know, like Juice and Seth and whoever was in FCW at the time and like, you got to watch this match, check mm-hmm. this out, you know, and like stealing some of the spots on the little FCW house shows, you know. Never thought I'd get to wrestle Suzuki and he seemed like that was on a different planet and I was doing this thing over here. But, you know, just a big fan, our paths crossed. We've wrestled a bunch of times, you know, as one of my great rivals now, uh, but I've never wrestled Tanahashi. Just us facing off had a really good energy because it's supposed to happen a few different times. And he was kind of always the, uh, like I could see him in the distance. Mm-hmm. Like I always talk about big game hunting in New Japan, going after, you know, they got a million belts. Who gives a shit about the belts? You know, I'm going for like the names and the reputations, you know, uh, all these legends I've got to wrestle from New Japan. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. You know, when you yeah, look you at look the at, like, body of work of, less, when you look at the body of work of Ishii, Suzuki, Nagata, Kojima, you know, it's pretty crazy. And I've got to share the ring with all of them. But Tanahashi's still out there, almost like the final guy you know and uh it's been eluding me for whatever reason i was talking to tony on the phone the other day and he's like this is the thing about you know now that there's a relationship and a lot of it gets out of my hands and i'm not going back and forth between new japan and aw and they're just talking on their own it's a lot easier for me less stress because i don't i can just go oh y'all talk about it but then stuff can happen without your knowledge behind your back and tony's on the phone he's like yeah he's like i'm glad i uh stopped that match from happening like so many times And I kind of knew a little bit about that, but not, I didn't realize to the degree that he had gone to, to stop that match from happening. Wow. And I was like, actually pisses me off. man. Like, I don't find that funny. Yeah. Like I'm not laughing with you, man, but it doesn't matter. Cause I'm like, that's my match. And it just, it seems very meant to be. And yeah. of course it is. Like, it just seems like that was the universe's plan all along. It's me, Tanahashi. And then the guy who coined Forbidden Door and the guy who was basically bridging the gap between the two forever, like it makes all the fucking yeah. sense in the world. And just for me personally, just wrestling Tanahashi feels very like uh, just the journey I've been on just for the last three years with everything from what I was three, four years ago as a wrestler, as a performer, the headspace I was in, the uh, transformation that I've kind of been able to make and uh, what I saw myself as being three years ago when I was hurt and realized I was making a change and leaving, you know, like to now it almost feels like this is like the final step in some kind of transformation. You know, this, this is the ACE that's more important than any of these 200 fucking belts we got between these two companies, you know, like he's the ACE for me personally, you know, it's just nobody else exists in the world except me and Tanahashi. There'll be however many thousand people there sold that house at United center two rosters, two companies, people watching on TV, whatever. Like to me, this is about me and Tanahashi. Mm -hmm. And this is about me and my personal shit. 
you know, I guess, I guess being sober is a part of that too, you know, like getting that negative uh, part out of my life, becoming a father, all this, all this change and transformation and everything, you know, and now I got to step in the ring with the fucking ace. It's funny for me even hearing these things because of course I know these things because we talk when these microphones are not in front of our faces, but hearing it like kind of in all that context as we're like, you know, rehashing what this last year has looked like, all of the ups, all of the downs, personally, professionally, all of those things to know for you on this like professional level, like how much of that really culminates with this match is pretty cool. And it's just pretty wild. And then right after that, jump right into blood and guts. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the middle of a, a war of epic proportions with the Jericho Appreciation Society and my friends in Eddie and the Blackpool Combat Club. I'm going to be in a cage match fighting to the death days later in a completely separate issue, you know, so balancing all that is, you know, to be uh, asked to balance that as a performer is, uh, I'm not going to call it easy, but uh, I'm not going to call it hard, I don't know, but it's it's something I can do. What would um, this second go feel like and look like for you as um AEW champ the first one was marred by right as much as it was great and as much and which is crazy too you know like uh jericho is the perfect first champion to put the belt on the map i was the first baby face champion mm -hmm. so i was the first guy to defend it with whatever lame baby face tropes you want to throw out there honor and pride and you know not nefarious means or whatever you know to make it the prize that you know a good guy can hold or I don't really respect know. on it oh, but, you know everything that comes to being the first baby face champion you know this is going to be a, a lot to me probably like you know sometimes you don't always get what you uh think you deserve or whatever like Sometimes like, oh, I should be this or that, or I should be in this match or whatever. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, but it's fine. It's good, to, you know? So like, well, we are, after all the work I put into trying to bring these two sides together, okay, now we're doing a big pay-per-view. Am I even on the fucking card? After <laughs> yeah. all that work I put in? Yeah. Like, what, uh, you know? And these motherfuckers are on the card? But I was already, I'd already made peace with it. And I was like, you know, wherever, however that ends up, this is happening. It's good for fans, for wrestlers. It's awesome. It opens up all kinds of new doors. It's a great thing. Not going to go into that line of thinking at all. Now I am in a man that. So now I tap into some of that that's somewhere in my brain. DT that motherfucker into oblivion and go like, yeah, this is my fucking match. This is my fucking match all along. It's my fucking belt all along. It's my fucking company. New Japan's my fucking company. Yeah, yeah, he's my fucking company. Fuck y'all. You know what I mean? They're, I can tap into that. Like, yeah. like, yeah, this has already all been mine. You know, yeah. I can tap into that kind of motivation and energy, you know, just so fucking uh, excited man, to, to do this, you know? It's cool. Sunday. It's so cool to like, like, I love seeing you get to do what you do and knowing the, the purity in how much you love what you get to do. And I can't just say like, oh, you're so lucky that you get to do this thing that you love to do because you you obviously work so hard to do it, but you've also set your life up by design to really be able to do those things that you want to do, like being able to go and wrestle these matches. You want to drive up to Dayton 
and go do those things because it's a thing that like really makes you happy. And it's just so nice for me to be able to see you do that. You're such a man of your word. There's like that simplicity to it, that it's a thing that you love to do. So you go and do it. And if there's people that question like you wanting to wrestle on a bunch of different shows and doing all these things when like you, you don't have to do any of those things. It's just a thing that you love doing. It's nice for me to see you do that. And it actually like inspires me to like, without making this like extra cheesy, but honestly it does. It like pumps me up to see you just be so happy doing the thing that you love doing and learning and thinking. And like your brain is just like, always your wheels are always spinning, thinking about different things that you want to do. And you're never just an autopilot about your work. It's, I wouldn't even necessarily call it that, but it does pay our bills. So thank you for that. Those pay the bills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I'm super excited to, uh, I get to come down to forbidden door with you. I mean, the sweet little baby chicken will be there. He was crying by the way. So we should probably wrap this up and tend to her. Get that little sweet little chicken. I realize I talk in the baby voice like all the time now. Like, <laughs> it's actually my favorite voice. Like walking into started. a bank, talking to Teller in a baby voice. <laughs> I'd like to deposit this check, please. Can I deposit your check in the bank? <laughs> my favorite thing about the voice is I'm so used to hearing it, but when you do talk in it a lot, and then people that aren't used to seeing it are like, what the <laughs> say the stupidest stuff to babies. <laughs> babies dogs like nobody's safe i get talked to in this voice now yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so stupid but guys listen babies are great booze is bad wrestling's great i'm not gonna end this with some like cheesy i'm proud of you i love you but i am those things should we uh should we kiss no come on hit me with it no, it's too weird, man. You can end with a joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, hit everyone with a joke. Three weeks ago, I sent my hearing aid in for repairs. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard nothing since. So stupid. I would like everyone to know just like you have dad jokes, but then you also like impromptu think of dad jokes. Sometimes those are the best ones, but it's um, it's a real journey being married to you. Real journey. I'm stuck now. You know, look how cute you are. A huge thank you to John. Um, I feel weird just even being like, here's John Moxley and a big thanks to John. Um, but on like a completely like real life wife level. Um, yeah, it feels like, I don't know. I don't want to be like cheesy. Be like, I'm so proud of you and I love you. But honestly, like what a guy. There's just for me, nobody better. There's nobody better to me than, than that guy. Um, just from the person that he is, the stuff he's been through, um, the way he looks at life, uh, I could not be luckier than to have somebody like him as my husband. I feel like I could like go on and on and make this like some like real personal, emotional <laughs> thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys catch the drift. You you got to hear from him. I mean, even just God, him talking about our daughter and stuff like I after we recorded this um Tuesday night Tuesday night Monday night Monday night we recorded this um I feel like I've been thinking about that conversation for like days now just us talking about our daughter and the way that we love her and our life and the things that he has been through and how he's feeling all that stuff so I'm glad that we could talk about it I'm glad that uh you guys could hear it here um and hopefully uh hopefully you take something away from it 
hopefully um, yeah hopefully it reached somebody that maybe needed to hear it or needed to hear this conversation I know it's something that affects so many people um, it's uh, it's unfortunately so common but uh, you know I think being able to have like a good group of people around you and for somebody like John to be so honest and vulnerable about what he went through um, I think it can really help a lot of people so I hope that this did that for somebody um, alright guys thanks for hanging out and listening to this it's been The Sessions see ya